This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Right then, you are listening to Offscript Extra Time, and by popular demand, this fella is back. He is the man who set social media ablaze the last time he was with us discussing his career. He's very much off Eden Hazard's Christmas card list. Mo Salah has stopped returning his calls, but he is still <laughs> Goose Hiddink's favourite. Oh, and Sir Alex has just about forgiven him as well. It's this man. Chelsea asking all the questions. Deep towards Terry. 2-0. It's John Obi mikel his first ever Premier League goal, his first for Chelsea, and where were you the day that it finally happened? And suggesting that they might have an away goal in them here at the Parc des Princes. William Sporting goes a long way, and Mikel hammers it home! It is 1-1! John And the big man is indeed back with us. It is the one and only John Obi Mikel, good friend of ours. Of course, he was with us during our World Cup coverage. And John, Thursday evening, the kids are away. Yep. So you've come in to join us. Welcome. Exactly. You place. called us up and said, <laughs> Frank's just been put in charge on an interim basis. I need to I have need to my say. Yeah, exactly. I need to come back and have my say on what's been going on. And uh, yeah. Hopefully we can uh, we can we can all understand what's been going on at the club. Uh, it seems to me like you know the decision makers really and the I don't know if they're making decisions right, but for me it just seems like they're bringing so many different players and it's just not working really. It is. I mean they've spent exorbitant sums. I mean we'll get to that. Let's start with your old mucker, Frank Lampard. Delighted yeah. for him. I mean as a as a friend and as a former colleague, happy that he's back in the dugout. Yeah, I'm very happy. I mean, I think uh, last time he was at the club, I think he did really well. I think he started really well. He brought the likes of uh, Mason Mount into the club, into the scene, um, young players into the scene, and the club were, you know, the team were playing really well. Um, but I think towards the end of his stay, I mean, <laughs> things were not going well for him, and then the club decided to sack him. But I think if you look at Frank and if you look at the way he's been speaking since he came back yeah. uh, I think you can feel maybe there's a little bit of unfinished business and because he's been there before he knows the club uh, I think he I think now he probably knows the mistakes that he make and he wouldn't obviously wouldn't make it again so yeah if we're being generous here because you know his record at Everton does not suggest that he was the, the guy they were calling first right yeah. after yeah. Chelsea but if we're being generous here it's a bit of a free roll of the dice for Frank isn't it because this season yes okay the Champions League is right there quarterfinals Real Madrid that's hugely important in the yeah. league it's a bit of a write-off isn't it this it is. season so he's you know he's got the unenviable task of going up against Carlo Ancelotti another of your old managers yeah. John yeah. in, in the yeah. Champions League yeah. uh, which is tough but you know for Chelsea just to hit the reset button I wonder why they didn't go in for an available manager whether it was Nagelsmann whether it was uh, Enrique as well who was certainly in the frame yeah yeah I think you know, I think you've said it all I think uh, when it comes to the remaining games now I think Frank when you look at it it's like he's got nothing to lose yeah. I think when it comes to the Champions League I think everybody thinks 
that you know it's going to be a Madrid win. Uh, but uh, I hope I hope Chelsea can be able to do it. But when you look at the two teams, who's in form and who's not in form, uh, I think Madrid are playing really well. I mean, they beat Barcelona what four 0 last. Yeah, they were class yesterday. last night. Kind so of I mean, uh, if you look at both teams, you you look at that matchup and you think okay Madrid are going to go through but I hope my my old team do it I hope that Frank comes in and bring it, bring the magic back in the club um, yeah but when it comes to selecting the managers you know there's so many world class managers still available but I think the club wants to take their time Give, now to make the right decision given that they've they won the yeah. Champions League in 2012 yeah. with a former Chelsea player as caretaker boss <laughs> do you think that was did Todd Bowley come in and go hey when did we last win the Champions League 2012 former caretaker let's get Frank back. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that seems to be the kind of logic. I hope that's going to be the magic. But uh, I think uh, it's going to be a tough game for Chelsea, uh, Madrid. It's going to be a tough game. But um, when you look at both teams, like I said, who's in form and who's not in form, you can say Madrid will go through on that game. You know my connections to Graham Potter. Yeah. So I will hold my own counsel. I've already voiced my opinion and what yeah. I think of Chelsea's decision to uh, fire a very good man a man who I still believe is a top, top, top coach and he will go on to prove that elsewhere. Just hasn't worked out at Chelsea. Were you surprised at the timing of the sacking, John? I know we've had conversations off air. You were hearing whispers that yeah. perhaps not all was well. I mean, your own thoughts on the sacking of Graham? Well, I think when you look at that, I think, was he given enough time? I think so. I think when you look at where the club is now, I mean, what is it, 11th? 11th, yeah. yeah, at the table. Seven months. Uh, yeah, so when you look at it, I mean, he's been given a lot of time. I think if he was the Roman Abramovich era. <laughs> that chopper would have exactly. been <laughs> So uh, was he given enough time? I think so. I think the club made the right decision. Uh, was the club too big for him to manage? Maybe. Because when I look at him sometimes on the touchline, it's like he doesn't really know what to do. You know, he's not communicating to the players. It didn't tell them what to do on the pitch. Um, but do you like that? Do, do you like managers? I've always wondered that. No, no, that. no. I like a manager who's always, uh, you know, who's always motivated, who wants to be very passionate on the touchline. And when they scream at you, it's like they're telling you what to do. Sometimes players need, we need a bit of a kick up the backside, you know, yeah. to be able to wake up and, you know, but uh, with Grime, I, I wasn't seeing that. And also with Frank, I wasn't seeing that. I hope now when he comes back, he will be more like, you know, like a, a club or a pep. You can see these managers, they're always emotional. They, mm. they, they are, it's like they want to be on the pitch. I want to see that with Frank now when he comes back. Is there something specific about Chelsea that, that favours managers who've got a bit of an ego and they are characters, they've got charisma? Is there something specific about the club? Did you always feel when a manager walked in, you could kind of read their body language, their charisma, and you think, oh, he's going to be a success? Sometimes, yeah. I think uh, the only manager I didn't get that from was Carlo Angelotti because he was so quiet. And there was a time, there was, you know, sometimes you, you couldn't understand how to approach him because he was so quiet, he doesn't speak a lot. Uh, but his man management was the best. Yeah. Uh, he could get the best out of players. I mean, you can see he went from Everton to Madrid and start winning trophies. Uh, he's not always that manager who's very emotional on the touchline, but the way he passes his message across is always in the dressing room and always on the training ground. And sometimes managers want to do that because they feel like, okay, I've all through the week, I've shown you what to do on the pitch. Now is your time to go do it. I don't want to bother you on the pitch, but some managers want to be involved. They want to be, you know, a very emotional, engaged on the pitch. Uh, and that's what I want to see. I really want to see that for Frank now, you know, when he goes back, uh, he's got a second chance. 
the fans love him, the club love him, and I want to see him do really well. What was Carlo like? Just I want to stick on Carlo Ancelotti because he's been in the news, he's been in the headlines. I know uh, Brazil national team have uh, been uh, courting his signature, uh, signature apparently. Yeah. I read yesterday his son Davide, who's been part of his coaching staff, he may well be stepping out on his own with FC Baal over oh, really? in Switzerland. Okay. What was Carlo like on the training ground, John? W- would he assess and then come in and give an arm round a little cuddle and, and pass on little bits and pieces he doesn't strike me as being whistle around the neck I know he was in his younger days yeah, was that he is he, he is, is whistle around his neck yeah Interesting. He's, yeah he is whistle around his neck he's that guy he's always involved on the training ground uh, on the training ground is where you see Carlo always trying to communicate to the players but one thing I will say that his training method is for me probably the best that I that all throughout my career because as well as the man management yeah Wow. You know, his training method was we were always playing games. You know, footballers, we sometimes when you go into training and you and you look from the from from the top and you you look up the pitch and you see what you're gonna do, the exercises or the games that you're gonna oh, you like, oh. <laughs> oh not this again. Yeah, like this again. Oh, I hate you, says <laughs> But with Carlo for some reason it was always fun. You know, it was always fun. We enjoyed our time on the pitch. Uh, there was lots of short games. And then at the end of it, we play like a two-side game because players who are not been involved on the weekend, they want to play games. And for them, training on the Monday, yeah. it's like games because it's a two-side game. It's a short game, it's quick, sharp. And then we, we expand the game to a, a two-side. And then you can see the tackles. For so you feel like you, even if you're not part of the game, you feel like you're still getting enough out of the training. So that's why we really enjoyed uh, Carlo. And then, I mean, his man management was, for me, a different class. And the most dull training sessions that you took part <laughs> of in Chelsea? <laughs> oh, that's a long list there. <laughs> oh, wow, it's a long list. That's a long list. Basically, it was just Carlos that were fun. I'd probably go with Benitez. They were just Benitez, yeah. structured, oh, joyless. Structured. Oh, structured. There was this exercise he used to do. And for some reason, we, we football players, we couldn't understand anything he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> he was showing the defenders how to step back, how to do the doggy back. But that is something you learn from... Like you know, as a kid. From, exactly. And he showed us, like, no, 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 do it this way. And they're like, okay, I've done it. This is like, okay, change and do it that way. And they spent about 20, 30 minutes or 40 minutes doing that. And then the game has to be stopped. And then we're all freezing. I mean, it's just not. Oh, my God. So for me, definitely. I can't Rafa. imagine Rafa demonstrating that either. <laughs> He does with his Adidas uh, Copa Mundial boots. Yeah, yeah listen, I love the Copa Mundial. Oh, I love the Copa Mundial. I will yeah. hear nothing bad said about that. <laughs> uh, coming back to Frank, John, uh, settle something for me. It's often said in, in kind of footballing circles that he's super intelligent. You he read is. everywhere that his IQ is 150, which yep. if it's true, puts him in the 0.5% of most intelligent people on the planet. Is he perpetuating that myth or is he <laughs> very intelligent? I mean, on the football pitch, for me, he's, uh, I mean, we could all see he's a very clever football player, very, very clever football player. He knows when to be in the play- right place at the right time. Uh, his runs, his timing, um, his passing ability. Uh, I think people didn't give Frank enough credit, you know, I know he got the credit that he deserved from the Chelsea fans, but if you, when you look at worldwide, I think when you look at worldwide and people always compare him with Steven Gerrard and Gerrard always got the praise yeah. from everybody, but Frank was... But for me, 
and and for us, he was such an important football player because he was so clever. Um, yeah, I mean, did you need him in the in the quizzes? I would imagine, like every football club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The quizzes at the but end. But he of the doesn't season. get involved. Frank is very quiet. He's very. He sits. No, yeah, he sits on his own on the bus. Uh, he doesn't really get involved. He does his own thing. But he's very intelligent. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to quizzes, he doesn't. Does he get involved? No, Frank, yeah. He's too intelligent for school. (laughs) He's way too intelligent for us now. He's thinking, no, I don't want to get involved with you guys. But uh, no, when it comes to that, you know, he sits on his own. He's always uh, with this uh, game, you know, the, I don't know. Sudoku? No, the one with the paper where you... Crosswords. Yeah, crosswords. He's always <laughs> He's a crossword fan. Yeah, so he, yeah, he takes his back, he takes it out, he's there, you know, trying to get the words. Uh, is so, your yeah. banter that bad? He's got to do crosswords, John. <laughs> it is. <laughs> he doesn't get involved. I mean, we when we're flying and the guys, you know, they're playing, uh, what is it, the computer game. Football manager. Yeah. And nah. He's got his pen and paper out. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't get involved. I, I've got to ask about you know, the culture of the sort of sacking of managers and the supposed role that fans and players have in this process. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, Todd Bowley comes in, he says, forget the old era. Mm -hmm. Now we have a long-term vision now for the club, which didn't turn out to be that long-term. It turned out to be about seven seven months. (laughs) Don't remind me. So, you know, but I guess guess it's proof that results will always destroy any long-term vision. Short-term results will always destroy that vision. So as the results are getting worse and the fans are getting ever increasingly upset Mm -hmm. and the players are getting ever more agitated and maybe unhappy with how things are going with the manager... How are these factors influencing the ultimate decision to fire the manager? Oh, it does. I mean, like you said, it's a, I think it's turned into a, a result. Uh, business. Business. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. You have to, you have to always, week in, week out, uh, give the fans what they want, give the yeah. club what they want, That's, which is three points. And when you look at Pep Guardiola with everything that is won at City, you know, there's, what, is, what was it, three weeks ago or a, a few months ago, People were saying, you know, could be the last could season. Be the, exactly. Yeah. But now, you know, the, the club is back team is still there. You, when you look at Jurgen Klopp as well, the same, he's still there. Um, so these clubs, they they know that sometimes uh, stability is the key. But it is a business. Uh, it is a result business. Uh, if you, when you're not doing, when you're not providing results. I'm sorry, you have to go. And the fans play a big role in that. When the fans are getting frustrated, they come on a Saturday. They don't see, uh, they don't see the team performing. They don't see the players fighting for the, you know, for the club. And they get frustrated. And once they start whistling, you know, that's it. I mean, mm. the, 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 you know, the, the, I'm sorry, the manager has it, to go. It seems like Todd Bowley wanted to continue with Graham in I a way because yeah. I think the season. Okay, Graham's in the, the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Yeah. That's still live. The league is a write-off. There's no top four is, for yeah. Chelsea. It's a dead season in that mm-hmm. regard. So it's a weird decision with 10 games left to go to get rid of him now when I think he wanted to give him that summer transfer to get all of these new players that they've signed and try and get some semblance of cohesion there but yet I think he's ultimately bowed or caved to just sheer anger and and, you know discontentment among the fan base yeah but when you look at the club as well I mean we're talking about uh, uh, we're trying to get to fourth place you know, if we lose a few more games, we'll be in the relegation battle. Mm. That's where the club is at the minute. Um, it's you're right. When you look at the games, the remaining games, if Porter was there, would Chelsea get a win it? Maybe not. And they, that's why they've decided to make that decision. I think they've made that decision based on the fact that if they don't change the manager right now, the club might be 
dragged into a relegation battle. And that's not what we want. We don't want to see a club like Chelsea drag, you know, into a relegation mm. battle, which we, we've never been there. It's not where we are. It's not where we should be. Uh, but uh, it looked like that's where we're headed. So, I mean, that's, I think that's why the club made a decision. If they'd had a plan, I would have maybe supported it. There's no plan. <laughs> Bringing Frank back... Nada. Zero plan there. We're going to come back to this. I want to get John's thoughts on a couple of things, including a bit of insight into the dressing room with regards to relationships with managers. You'll know where I'm going with this when we come back. Stay tuned. The Offscript Podcast. What about this for a start? Uh, he made the fifth most appearances of any overseas player for the Blues. Petr Cech leads the way. Cesar Aspilicueta, Didier Drogba, then Branislav Ivanovic, and then it's this fella. It's John Obi McKell. And actually, I saw a, an article, and I can't remember the name of the website, but it was an article on the most underrated footballers of all time, John. And <laughs> your, name, your name was in there. I think John wrote you, it. You, you, yeah. <laughs> your name was in there as yeah. among the most underrated footballers of all time. Do you consider yourself underrated? Uh, I have... I don't know. I think, I think for, mostly for the Chelsea fans, I think, yeah, they probably think I was, you know, I'm a bit underrated. But it's not something that really got to me. I mean, I was just there doing my work, you know, enjoying playing football and, um, you know, enjoying being at the club. Um, but when it comes down to the national team, I was always someone who's more, uh, you can't look at me as someone who was underrated. I was more of a... Integral. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I was more a of the... Yeah, I was a talisman when it comes to the national team. Well, obviously, at Chelsea, you know, the, like, the big names, the John Terry's, the Lampard, the drug buyers, all these guys. Obviously, they were always taking the glory, you know, every weekend, you know. So, for us, some of the players, it was a bit of, you know, we were there, but, uh, you know, doing our bits to help the club win, which is what we did. We worked as a team. Um, not everybody was getting the credits that they deserve, but, you know, that's football. Honestly speaking, did you ever get jealous? of the fact that they were maybe getting the yeah. plaudits. Yeah, of course I did. Of course I did. Uh, because I want to be, you know, I want to win. I want to I want to win. And first time I joined the club, for me, it was it was something that I had to struggle with. You know, I, I had to struggle with it. You know, I, I come back and I feel like I've had a great game. I've had an amazing game. But then nobody writes about it. Nobody talks about it. And then they do one thing, yeah. and then it's all over the papers. I'm like, what is this? Like, but, uh, and then, you know, you got to understand the system. And then finally, I understood the system, which is something I probably wouldn't talk on, the, on air. But uh, obviously, there is a system that you have to go through to make sure, you know, every weekend, you know, in the front uh, newspapers. Right. And so, didn't, yeah, didn't, <laughs> let's didn't, leave it uh, that way. Claude <laughs> Makaleli gave you some advice in your, in your early days about, about accepting that kind of, of his role. Of course, of course. He was someone who played for Madrid and even naming that position, his position yeah. with his name. He still wasn't getting the credits that he deserved. You know, he comes out every weekend and obviously the Lampards, the Drogba's, the, the, the John Terry's, they take the, the front, you know, newspapers. And this is a guy who's played so, who played so many games for Chelsea. Yeah. He was integral um, in every game. Um, you know, you know, the midfield wouldn't stand without him. But obviously, the, the 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 press don't want to write about it because you know his his style is boring, our style is boring, according to them. So they don't want to talk about it. But uh, as long as the team was winning for us, we're happy. Got to ask about players as a kind of cabal, as a collective. John, we we've seen the. 
let's be frank about it, derogatory headlines in the last couple of days. The fact that rumoured the players were calling Graham Harry behind his back. <laughs> they were calling him Hogwarts and all of this oh, stuff. Oh, I saw and, that. That was horrible. That. And I've heard different <laughs> stories. Listen, I, I've heard two sides to this particular story, but I, I wonder, and I'm popping you on the spot, does it happen, John? You know, I look at your era, your John Terry's, your Didier Drogba's, your Frank Lampard's, your Petr Cech's, your Michael Ballack's. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine you guys taking the mick, but maybe you did. Did you? Does that happen in dressing rooms? Do you take the mick? Are you so openly disrespectful to a manager? I think for us... <clears throat> I and think that ba- smile would suggest that you... <laughs> I think for us back then, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think when you look at our team, obviously, the players we had then, you know, so to say, I mean, they were men. Yeah. They, were fi- they were men. They were grown men. And when they had when they had a problem with the manager, they face it. They face it. They go face to face. You know, there was nothing. There was no hiding. There was no talking behind the backs, uh, because sometimes when you do that, uh, it might leak. It might someone might go and tell the manager someone. So those players understood that. They understood the, the politics of the game. So I've seen where players, you know, were not happy on a Saturday. They come back. Um, they, we go to, we go to training on a Sunday, Monday. They change and straight away you see them. Walk straight to the manager's office. office. Go knock the door and say, I want to have a word. That's how you big the they problem. were. Because yeah. for them, it wasn't about talking behind the backs and making mocks you know, about the manager. For them, it was going, clearing the air and talking and saying, listen, I'm not happy. I want to play more. Uh, I don't care if the player who's playing in front of me now is playing much better. I am Michael Balak. I am Frank Lampard. I am John Terry. I want to play. And then before you know it, the player who's playing really well is out of the team because the club also gets involved. The club is like, okay, now, you know, John Terry has to play. So, so, so strength of personality of counts course, for a of lot. Of course, of course it does. Of course it does. You know, when I was young, you know, when we came in, the likes of me, Solomon Kalu, we were the youngest players then. You know, we couldn't say a word. No. Yeah, we couldn't say a word. It took us almost four or five years to be able to say, okay, now we are, you know, now we're becoming part of the team. You know, the cabal, they're accepting us. You know, they have to accept you. Uh, and so that you was part of it. the only way, if you are not one of those kind of premier top dogs of course you've just got to play lights out every oh, single week yeah yeah you just have to accept what you get you go to training you you enjoy yourself if they speak to you you speak to them if they don't speak to you you just keep quiet on that front because <laughs> i find it fascinating john was there a moment was there a game where you felt accepted if you and solomon and, and other young players mm-hmm. are looking up to these elder statesmen the the figureheads of the club and you're trying to gain their respect is there a moment where you think Yes, that was it. That was where John and Frank and DDA said, John, you're now one of us. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I think probably I'm looking at the season 2009-2010, Carlo Angelotti, during Carlo Angelotti's time. I think for me, that was my initiation time. I thought that was when I I knew, you know, as I've arrived because I played a lot of games. uh, And that was when I, um, you know, me and Frank, you know, because we play close to each other. uh, We had, we started having, before, before that, when he, when he tells me something to do on the pitch, I just keep quiet and do it. But then during that season, you know, I started, I started knowing, okay, Answering back. I started answering back. We started having a bit of toggle fight and then there. And, but that was just part of the game. We wanted to win. We wanted what's going to be best for the team on that pitch, on that very so moment. So you'd earned your right to have a I voice there. respect. And then yeah. when I told him what to do as well, he wasn't angry because he wasn't saying, oh, okay, you shouldn't speak to me like that. But before that, 
I couldn't. Love if you that. say a word, you go in the dressing room in the second half, and they will rip you apart. But then, uh, from that 2010, when I answer back, even to John Terry or Drogba, they knew, okay, he's, he's, he's now becoming part of us. On that point then, which player didn't understand that? Which player came in and was a bit mouthy too early, perhaps didn't earn the respect as you did. You knew your role. Yeah. And Frank and the boys respected you because yeah. you've earned your stripes. Yeah. Is there a player who came in and thought, tell you what, John, do this. Tell you what, Frank, do this. Obviously, I would say, but he was a big player when he came in. You know, for me, it was Michael Balak. For us, it was Michael Balak. He came in and he obviously thought, you know, I am Michael Balak. Yeah. And <laughs> he is German, after all. He knows best. Exactly. <laughs> so he walks through the door. And then, I mean, he was he was trying to tell the, you know, the guys what to do. And they were looking at him like, what is this? I could, you know, so, I, you know, we could all see the, the DDAs, the, 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 the lamp, the, they started getting a bit like, okay, yeah. who's this guy okay <laughs> like what is this but uh, that was just by like and they, you know there was a few times where they had like they you know they had like uh, a massive massive argument and they had to tell him listen you've just walked through the yeah. door you need to calm down and look at the way we do things and tr and follow don't come here to try to change you have to follow and uh, I think he understood that and then you, he started quieting down and then they started accepting me a little bit and then it all became became fine the Offscript Podcast. One word answer required from John Obi Mikel. I've just made my Graham Potter pitch. <laughs> Yay or nay? Yes or no? Should he have stayed in the job after that, John? Uh, no. <laughs> it's a definite no. It's a no. It's, it's a, a no. Sorry, Chris. Uh, I don't think John would have ever given him the job. To be no. I definitely wouldn't have, to be honest. No, I mean, he's done well for Brighton, but um, I, I, I don't think he was a Chelsea, Chelsea manager. Fair. Definitely Definitely not. Not. And, and OK, how do, how do we make sense of what's going on with this new Chelsea revolution under Todd Bowley? Oh. 17 signings since the start of this season. Tuchel ousted after, what, eight weeks of the season? Something not, even, not even that, right? No, it was, well, Graham came in in September. Graham came in in September. Yeah. So Tuchel given almost no time whatsoever. I think four weeks. Um, like that. It's and, and then obviously now Frank is an interim manager. Mm -hmm. 17 mm -hmm. signings. Uh, a lot of them. A lot quid. of them would seem to be vastly <laughs> overpriced as well. Yeah. And then, you know, Enzo Fernandez looks like he's going to be a good player, but he's, he, he's still a what? punt for yeah. 105 million. Five million. Couldn't lose your boots, John. Record. <laughs> but he, he, he is still. He's not. A, he's not a finished product, no. is he? Oh, they yeah. haven't bought one single world-class star no. for 600 million and they haven't brought a striker. No. So, I mean, how, how do you, as a man who loves Chelsea, how do you make sense of that? Well, I don't think anyone can make sense of what's going on. Um, you know, like you've just said, players are just coming in through the door and um, it's just, you know, I read like articles, like they say, um, Todd Burley is looking at Arsenal's radar, whoever Arsenal is going for. <laughs> yeah, he's just stealing their water. Yeah, he's going still. And it's just players coming in. And some players, when you look at them, you know, we've mentioned a few players' names here. You know, they're not Chelsea kind of players. I mean, they, um, you know, most some of them are not good on the ball. They, 
But yeah, I think when you look at the way that the, the, you know the team was playing uh, before Porter got sacked, it was just nothing happening. There was mm. no, it, there was no spark. There was no, there was just nothing going on. Uh, when you look at the games, you're like, okay, where's the goal gonna come from? Where's the magic gonna come from? I, I know they've missed N'Golo Kante. You know, we spoke off air about him. I mean, he's a massive, massive player for the club, and it's a shame that he's just come back now that Porter has been sacked. But um, you know, I hope we we'll find a, a rhythm back. And uh, with Frank coming back, he knows the club. He knows most of the players. He's worked with them before and uh, let's hope uh, we'll start playing well and getting some good results. The great Chelsea teams have always had great strikers in in recent years. And obviously Didier Drogba, you know, Diego Costa as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that's important for any club. I mean, I know we've gone away from the traditional number nine, but big Chelsea teams have always seemed to have that traditional number nine. And yet they're not... Not really either available. I mean, I know, Chris, you've got a theory about a compatriot well, of John's. I'd love to get your thoughts, Victor Osimen, because yeah. he is someone who has been lighting up Syria. There's no doubt about that for Napoli. Of course, a compatriot mm-hmm. of yours. He has made no secrets of the fact that the English yes. Premier yeah. League mm-hmm. is a league that he'd quite relish the opportunity to come and play. Chelsea have a Victor Osimen sized hole for me. Man United are going. To, I feel are going to be in the market yeah, for number Man nine. United, yeah. How good is he? Let's start there, Victor. Again, if we're talking about uh, we're talking about Chelsea bringing in number nine, I think when you look at when you mentioned the number nines that you've mentioned, I think there's a players a finished article. When you're talk, talking about a finished article, a finished complete striker, and those players you wouldn't get them at the age of 20, 19. Those players start to get mature at the age of 27, 28. Mm. But obviously, clubs are not buying the strikers anymore. It's about who can we buy and sell for the five, next five, ten years? It's about business. It's not about. It is about results, but also about mostly about uh, business. The business side, yeah. So when you look at those strikers, they are available, but they're not 21, 20 years old. And this is what's this is the kind of players Chelsea are buying right now. And when you look at Victor Sime, I mean, he's doing really well for Napoli. He's playing really well, and he's going to be on the market in the summer. Um, I think my United are going to go for him definitely. Is but he be good in the Premier League? You know, we spoke about him before as well. Uh, it's, you know, he's doing well for me. I think Victor scores goals. That's what he does. He scores goals. Is he very technically good? No. Not as much. No. no, but he will get you goals. He will get you goals for sure. I'm loving you. You lit up. I'm going to come back here. Man United, what are you hearing, John? You've got me excited. Being a Man U <laughs> fan, do you think I'll look at his skill set... You think he would work at United with the Rashfords around him, Fernandez, Sancho, if he can get into form, yeah. Garnacho. Yeah. D- does Victor complement what they have? I think so. I think he would be the perfect fit for them. I think he would be the finished article for you know for this United team who are playing real, some really good football now. They're back, you know, they're back playing the way United should play. Um, but again, they're missing that out-and-out striker and with if Victor if they could be able to go for him and if they could be able to get him I think he would be the icing on the cake for them Eric Ten Hag and Man United as do many do, clubs do nowadays John it's not just about the player it's about the personality mm-hmm. is he a good lad does he live oh, his life love, clean oh, good boy good boy lovely boy very respectful down to Ed humble um, you know he's, he's such he's so, I, I didn't get to play with him with an, in the national team for such a long time but the period that I got to play with him he was a really nice guy lovely Okay. You've got me excited about Victor. Coming back to the 17 new players, <laughs> and obviously the comparisons with with your time at Chelsea, yeah. where you had that nucleus who were they were mainstays, they were they had longevity. Frank yeah. Terry, John Terry, all these guys. Um, 
How does the team dynamic evolve then if you've got just players just thrown into a big soup yeah. of footballers? <laughs> like, how's the pecking order evolving in that dressing room? And, and obviously, you need that to create a successful team. You, you need, need that. that strength and that unity. And I just wonder how, how you can ever, you can't just magic that out of thin air. It's got to grow from somewhere exactly. and evolve from somewhere. So exactly. how does it work in that scenario? Obviously, when you, when you look at the team back then, um, when you, if you if you are going to Chelsea, you sign and you're going to Chelsea, you know for sure. One thing is for sure, you're going to meet the likes of Frank Lampard, John Terry, uh, Gigi Drogba, Peter Cech. They will be there. Uh, but now when you sign for Chelsea, even before you sign, if you're going to join them in the summer, you don't know who you're going to meet in the summer. So you need it. We you need those backbones, you know, in every team to be able to succeed and we were so lucky we had those guys um, you know they were the backbones of the team uh, whichever player was coming in they have to direct you you know on the way we work the way things are done at the club the way things are done in the dressing room um, they were very they were very you know very cruel sometimes they were very harsh sometimes which they have to be um, you have to take it if you want to be accepted in the club in that dressing room, you have to be ready to take it because sometimes it's very unpleasant. Did you ever get absolutely moolered, as I would say in the UK? Did you get absolutely battered by these guys? Oh, I was did. there a game, was there a moment where it was John, not yeah. good enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything stand out? Yeah, 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 obviously. One player who always used to give it to me, well, obviously, was JT because I was always close to him. Uh, but on the pitch, he's always... You know, it was like, yeah, wake the, wake the, you <laughs> know, the yeah, up. you know what I mean? It's like, what are you doing? You know, so, but towards the years, you know, going, we started to grow kind of a friendship. It became a bit more, you know, whispering to me, like, you know, come on, come on. you know, like, come on. But um, no, I didn't get something, you know, that crazy, but um, there was always players who was getting it. Uh, mostly it was from the managers. And, on that, just on that point, because I'm fascinated, and, and Robbie's cottoned on to something here about the, the soup, if you will, and, and finding characters that fit. Were you born into that Chelsea dressing room? Did it suit your personality, or were you nurtured into it, John? Does that make sense? Did you come in, yeah. watch, study, <laughs> and then adapt to fit in, or did you always have the character that, that could take a rollicking, that, that could be respectful, that could take a step back, survey before stepping yeah. forward and saying, yeah. I'm here? Yeah, no, definitely that was the case. Uh, obviously, growing up, playing for the Nigerian national team on the 17th, I was the leader. I was the main man. But then, you know, obviously that's a different different story altogether. And then when you come into this club, uh, when I came into Chelsea, I had to, I had to sit down because you think it's, it's going to be the same. It's never the same. You know, you're walking in and you meet, you're seeing all this big players, you know, uh, amazing players that, you know, you grew up watching and you're sitting next to them and then you think they're your friends. <clears throat> Try to speak to them. They'd be like, who are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? You need, it will give you time. You need time for them to accept you. And yeah. that's what I thought. I walked in, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, DJ Trogba is from <laughs> Africa. Let me try to. And you could see he will give you the, you give you the cold shoulder. You know, you give you the cold shoulder. They'd be like, mate, you know, calm down, calm down a bit. So. Uh, it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of my street cred if I'm seen. Exactly. He's uh, like, calm down a bit. And. You need we you needed to be accepted, and once they accept you, you know you become their you become their friend, and you know it's uh, then you start enjoying the whole place. But be, until you do that, 
it's a very it's a very terrible place to be. And in. I think maybe the modern way of running football and I, to, Chelsea and Todd Bowley are obviously an extreme example of this, but I think that's been forgotten to some extent. And well, I have yeah. I have no insight on this. It's just a, I'm just guessing that that's that's a that's a very old traditional kind of way of running things that I think has been now we're, we're dealing with a footballing stock market. Oh yeah, yeah. where you're just <coughs> buying and, yeah. exactly. It's, it's just about the, it's about the money now. It's not about the passion. It's not about you don't see those things in the dressing room anymore. And when I look at this Chelsea team. Who do you think there is the cabal? Who do you think is the person that is running the dressing room? There is none. When I look at them, there's, there's got none. to be none. There's I, none. I agree with that. There's none. Even Aspilicueta that has been there for a long time. He's such a quiet, lovely guy. But Thiago, he doesn't so. look to me like a, someone who's going to be like a cabal. Sorry to say, but you need those. But I think that's why Casemiro has had, had such an impact on Man exactly. United. Because I think he's come in. He's obviously brought in Bruno Fernandes, who's the captain. Yeah. And they have... Sort of created a nucleus of leaders, in, and I know you've got your thoughts on Bruno Fernandez, but I think Casemiro was the catalyst. And, and the other one is, and his English is very good, is Lozandro Martinez. There's yeah. a guy that demands yeah. a certain standard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not just on a Saturday, Monday through Friday. Yeah. Casemiro, Casemiro Martinez. Yeah, Martinez. I think yeah. Varane has been given a voice now mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well. There are key men, and you just have to see them when they win big games. They're up to the fans. Yeah. They're doing everything as fans. Yeah. You're buying into yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. you're absolutely right. You need that nucleus. You need no, that you do. You do. And I think Casemiro as well. He, when you look at him when he was at Madrid he was one of those yeah. guys in one in that, in that cabal so he knows how the cabal works and then coming into Manchester United it was so easy for him to 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 walk in straight into that team because and those no guys have to accept him because he's been at Real Madrid and he was among those guys running the club I don't want to be harsh but it does it shows you Harry Maguire who was captain he's just been Supplanted, uh, you know, yeah, Martinez, yeah. Casemiro, Varane being given an extra voice. Yeah. I think now Harry's just been left behind. The proper, I don't want to say proper leaders, but kind of proper leaders yeah. in that yeah. regard. The Offscript Podcast. We've been talking about the unique pressures. You know, I, for one, will stick by it. I have a lot of sympathy for Graham Potter's demise at Chelsea. You know the unique pressures that you're under when playing for a club of that mm-hmm. stature, John. And I want to actually take you back to a story you shared with us during our World Cup coverage. Because this, I mean, this is a pressure that no footballer needs to come under. I'm going back to the 2018 World Cup. Mm-hmm. You're due to play Argentina. You get a phone call. Your father's been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. What the heck? Where do we start with that story? <laughs> I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, yeah, two hours before the game, you know, I got a phone call from my from my brother saying, you know, dad has been kidnapped. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't know where to begin or where to start. And I remember I was, you know, getting ready. I came out of the shower. I was getting dressed, putting my boots, and then my phone was ringing. I was like, who's this? And I kept ringing, so I had to pick up. It was my brother. <laughs> It's like, I know you're about to go play a game, but this was happening. Dad has been kidnapped. I'm like, what? Yeah. And, you know, I spoke to him. I was I was like, okay, what are they saying? What are the demands? What are they asking for? What is it? So I put the phone down and I just couldn't move. You know, I, I thought I was going to throw up. Um, you know, I started shivering. I thought I was going to throw up. Uh, and I was just sitting in my room. I was like, who am I going to talk to? Who am I going to go? Shall I walk out of the door? door and go tell the manager that I can't play the game. 
I was like, you know, I took 20 minutes. I was trying to decide what to do or who to talk to. I just couldn't talk to anyone. And then at, at the end of the day, I finally decided, you know what? I'm just going to go face it. I'm the captain of the team, of the country. Uh, and this is a very crucial game against Argentina. Um, you see that? Yeah, exactly. It was, it, was, it was the last game. It was the last game for us. Either we qualify or we go out. And uh, for me to go share that news with the players, with the team, uh, it's just going to demoralize the players, demoralize the whole team. And I, I decided to stomach it in and not tell anyone and then go out and, 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 and you know play the game and nobody knew about it I just had to tell them after the game and everyone was shocked everyone so, was like how the, how the hell did you play this game Why? how did you I mean how, what was your feeling throughout the game oh feeling throughout the game I a few times I thought I was going to throw up on the pitch you know I I kept drinking water I kept drinking water a few times I thought you know what I think I'm going to throw up because all I kept going through my head is What's gonna happen? Is is my dad gonna get shot? Is he gonna get killed? Is he is he? And when I spoke to my brother, it was like you know he's been beaten up really badly. And they know? wanted a ransom from you. Yeah, of course they wanted a, a they ransom. They targeted him because of you, oh, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. And obviously with the expectation that you would pay whatever it was they yeah. asked for. Yeah, that was the expectation. They 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 said, listen, we know he's Mikael. Um, we know he's gonna pay. If he doesn't pay, we're gonna shoot. We you know they like we have nothing to lose. We're just gonna shoot his dad and just dump him somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that was really horrible, horrible. And after the game, I got back on the phone, trying to negotiate with them, speak to them, see where they are. Um, you know, they were calling some ridiculous amount of money from start and then we started negotiating and still had to pay some crazy amount of money. You did? Yeah, I had to, to get my dad out. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, is this something that's prevalent? In, I mean, it, it, this is a crazy situation for you to have to live with day to day, is it yeah. not? Yeah, I think even now I still I still go through it. Sometimes when I ha I get flashbacks of it, I'm like, oh my god, uh, and and I, I couldn't believe what because I, I actually spoke to the guys on the phone, and I, I and they put my my dad on the phone. There was a gun pointing to his head. Um, he said, "They're gonna kill me. They're gonna shoot me." Um, try to see how you can solve it. Wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a horrible, horrible story. Um, I think a few days ago uh, or a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, I haven't told my kids about it, but oh then they, they looked on my phone. They was like, that John Obi-Mikhail's dad kidnapped. I'm like, daddy, what's this? Like, oh, my Lord. Yeah, I was like, okay. That was, that was a long time ago. They're like, what do you mean long time ago? It says on the story. Um, I was like, no, grandpa is fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, I, I, so I still haven't shared them, shared the story to them. Obviously, they the young course, kids, they're, they're young seven. Girls. So it's a horrible story. Um, so one day they will, when they grow up, I'll be able to share the story with them. But you got dad out. You got that out safely. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah. Listen, John, part two's in the can. We need you back for part threes, four and five. Your life is a remarkable one and you tell it always with a smile on your face. Thank you so much for sharing that particular tale with us again. Uh, that is the hour done and dusted. I know this is going to be going up on YouTube. I know all of your fans are going to be saying, too short, too short. We'll welcome the big man in. Thanks, again, guys. Thanks for having me. Brilliant, John. John always, always amazing. Yeah, what a pleasure. Thanks. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 